Welcome to the Revival Center Podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and thoughts from our church. We hope you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Kevin, will you stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? It is just our custom to our guests this morning that we stand on Sunday mornings as we read the opening text just to bring honor to God's Word. It does mean something to us. Look at verse number 8 of Ephesians 4. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. Now, will you just flip over with me to Luke chapter 16. Reading verse number 19 all the way down to verse 31. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen uh, and fared every single day. Verse 20. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Look at verse 23. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Look at verse 26. And besides all of this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those... From there passed to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have, I have five brothers that he may testify to them. Least they also come to this place of torment. This is sobering. Look at verse 29. Abraham said to them, they have Moses, they have the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to, said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rises from the dead. Isn't that powerful? It's a powerful statement. This morning, this is part two of the sermon that we started Wednesday night, God's love for the lost. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. I pray, God, that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is speaking Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, and direct us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. And I just want to go ahead and say right up, right on the front, as we jump off into this message, I am after an altar call this morning. 
I am after somebody in this room or maybe somebody watching my live stream, I don't know, who may not be right with the Lord today. So I'm not pulling any punches. I don't want to hide what my agenda is today. I am going after an altar call at the end of this message that if your heart is not right with the Lord, I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to get it right. Somebody say amen right there. I'm just jumping on out there, y'all. I'm letting you know where I'm going because we're continuing this thought from this past Wednesday that what is the Father's heart towards lost people? What is his posture? What is his attitude? And to answer that question of how does God respond, what is his attitude or his heart to the lostness of people? They say that a picture is worth a thousand words. So in order to kind of introduce this message and let you know where I'm going with it, will you go to the next slide? I believe that this one picture right here shows us the heart of the Father. Whenever, whenever it comes to lost people, how does, how does God, what's his posture, what, his, what is his attitude about the lostness of mankind? Look at the picture of Jesus. You want to know what he wants to do for those who are sick? Look at Jesus on the cross. You want to know what he wants to do for those that need breakthrough in their life? Look at Jesus on the cross. You want to know how much God loves you? Then this is how much God loves you in this room. This is what he's willing to do. He's willing to send the very best to the cross to die for our sins. Are you listening to me this morning? We must never allow the enemy to make us guess the love of God for us. We, that is an, that's an attack of the devil. That's a lie from the devil to make us think that we are too far away from God. That this man, Jesus, who died. God on the cross would not forgive us of our sins if we humbly came and asked him. Somebody say amen right there. Now, as we begin to move into this, look at Ephesians 4.9. Now, this particular verse right here is very controversial in the church world. There is no question that there is a debate about where did Jesus go after he died on the cross and was buried in the tomb. Now, again, you could, you could get different people to come up here and give you different explanations in terms of this debate. And I have no desire to get in that debate with you today. However, to preach this message, I do need to give a little bit of a context to this verse that you see before you. Now, before Jesus came to this earth, the afterlife was different than after Jesus came to this earth. So the afterlife of the Old Testament is different than the afterlife of the New Testament. In very simplistic terms, and whenever I tell you this is simplistic terms, uh, that is an overstatement in and of itself. The afterlife in the Old Testament was divided into two realms, same location but two realms. One was a place of blessing, which is Abraham's bosom or known as paradise. Then there was the other side of that, you had the place of judgment called Hades or what we would refer to as hell. These two realms were divided by a great chasm, a great abyss, canyon or ravine, whatever you can think of in your mind. It is my understanding that when Jesus died, he went to the place of Abraham's bosom, paradise. If you remember the words of Jesus on the cross to the thief, he said, today you will be with me in paradise, okay? And from there, he took the believers from the Old Testament to heaven. Remember in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was being stoned to death in Acts 7, the Bible says that Stephen looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. You remember that? So there was a transaction, a transition that had already taken place by that time. So now, why am I talking to you about this today? 
because I believe that when Jesus went to this place, he saw something whenever he went there. And the story in Luke 16 is what I believe was going on at that time whenever Jesus went there according to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I believe that there are some lessons that we can learn about on this Sunday morning from Jesus as he tells the story in Luke 16. I believe, I am one that believes that this text actually happened. You would find others that would disagree with me and say, no, no, this is just a parable. But I would, I'm preaching it from the standpoint that I believe it actually happened. I believe this was a true story that Jesus was sharing. I don't believe it's just a parable. And one of the main reasons is because Jesus uses real names in explaining this story. He talks about a man named Lazarus. And in all the other parables, which is nothing more than stories that tell a truth, he doesn't really mention names very often. But here he calls the man by his God-given name. And what is taking place is that Jesus pulls back the curtains of the afterlife. What happens when you die? What happens when your heart stops beating? What happens when you close your eyes on this side of glory and then you open them on the other side? I believe Luke 16 shares and, and explains to us a little bit of what happens whenever that takes place. It's a glimpse of, of eternity, so to speak. Now watch. There were two men in this story. You had the rich man and you had the poor man. A rich man who had no needs, uh, no cares, and no wants while he was on this life. The poor man named Lazarus who sat at the rich man's gates just begging for mere crumbs. And while on this earth, I am sure that the rich man was good in his own eyes. Watch now. I'm sure that this rich man had respect among the people. I'm sure this rich man had power among the people in his community. I'm sure that this rich man had honor among his community. He was good in his own eyes. Lazarus had neither. And so here's my, my first warning to you. To take heed, whether you're rich or poor, that being good in your own eyes will not be good enough on judgment day. Somebody say amen right there. When that day comes and our time on earth is over, it will not matter how good you thought you were. It will not matter what kind of car you drive. It will not matter what kind of house you lived in or how much money or how little money you had in the bank account. Trust me when I tell you, I have never seen a U-Haul at a funeral service. Talk to me in here. I've done a lot of funerals, unfortunately, in my short time of pastoring. And I can tell you that every time that I've done a funeral, people sometimes will put watches in there and rings. Nothing wrong with none of that. But you could go and dig that casket up in a hundred years and guess what would still be there? That ring or whatever you put in there, it would already be rotten or it would still be sitting there. My point is this right here. There's nothing in this world, whether you like something in this world or you don't like something in this world, you're not taking any of it with you over in to glory I'm going somewhere y'all so let me just tell you this right here you came into this world with nothing and trust me when I tell you you will leave this world with nothing come on now, now this is the other little thing you got to think about moms and dads grandparents in here do we want to leave an inheritance to our children yes we do but I already know what my children's going to do with the little bit of stuff that we have they're going to sell it come on somebody that stuff that you valued, that stuff you worked hard for, you saved up for, man, this is very important to me. Wait till you die. And they go sell it and they go split the money. 
I'm just trying to help you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to set you free from some stuff this morning. All that will matter on that day is did you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior on that day? I'm going to give you four points, and then I'm going to give the altar call and get out of the way. My first point is found in Luke 16, verse 24. Notice that this rich man in this place called Hades, he began to cry out. He cried out and said, Lord, have mercy on me. I want you to know something right now, that I believe that when Jesus descended that what he saw down in the under, under parts of the earth he saw people in hell right now that are praying did you hear what I just said I believe there are people in hell right now who are doing what this man was doing crying out for mercy he is praying crying out millions upon millions I should say billions upon billions of people right now in the depths of hell who are crying out to Jesus for mercy today all of a sudden people who did not have time to pray on earth all, all of a sudden they're going to start praying now too busy to pray they're praying in hell today listen those who think that it's too cool to pray they're praying right now moms and dads who did not pray for their children or for their family while they was on this earth. All of a sudden they start praying for their family when they find themselves in the underbelly of this world. My hope is that something will begin to be stirred in this church. Stirred in your life and stirred in the church of America where prayer revival would break out down inside of your spirit where we would begin to find time to pray once again. If God's people will sell out to a prayer life, we would bankrupt the plans of the enemy in our life the question is do you know how to pray now some people would say not really I pray for like a minute and then I, I forget I don't have nothing else to pray about I didn't pray for my dog and my cat I didn't pray for everybody in like one minute I'll look at my watch 60 seconds gone let me tell you something the best way to know how to pray is when you go through trouble. Talk to me in here. It's amazing what trouble will do to somebody who does not have a strong prayer life. You start going through some trouble, all of a sudden you learn how to pray real quick. And some of the most powerful prayers you could ever pray is help. Help me, Lord. I don't know what to do about this situation. Help me, Lord. This is much bigger than what I'm going through right now. You can't fake it. Come on, somebody. Whenever you're going through something and it, and it affects you personally and deeply, all of a sudden you figure out how to pray. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I need God to meet me through prayer. Look at verse 24. He said, have mercy. I am being tormented in these flames. Have mercy on me. This man did not cease to exist. Watch all the atheists in the world. All the atheists watching on YouTube and Facebook. Come on, somebody. Listen, look. Whenever he died, he did not cease to exist. This man was still fully functioning. He did not say that I'm going to be coming back again and being reincarnated. Hello, all the Hindus of the world, Buddhists of the world. This man was not being reincarnated. This man was going to sit there in hell for the rest of eternity. Are you listening to me? And, and here's the other thing of it. Whenever I read Luke 16, I don't read where there was 70 virgins that met this man whenever he went to hell. Come on. That's for all the Muslims out there. Talk to me in here. He said, I hurt. He said, I thirst. And he said, I feel this man fully knew 
what was going on. What Jesus saw in hell is he saw people who were aware of their surroundings. They were thirsty. They were in agony. This rich man's circumstances drove him to cry out to God. There will be a day that every single person is going to cry out to God. Oh, I hope you hear my love and my passion. Hope you hear my, my conviction this morning. Oh, there will be a day that every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to happen. And the passion of Jesus is to see the cry and to hear the cry today and not tomorrow. This is when Jesus can do something about it right now. He, whenever that time comes, there's not going to be anything he can do about it then. It's going to be out of his hands. Are you listening to me? I know this is outdated preaching. I know. I know. And all the mega church preachers would think that I'm saying all the wrong things today. And I would flunk every preacher test there is known in the preacher world of what I'm doing right here, right now. But we need some preachers that have some steel in their backbones, some fire in their mouth to declare. That it's time to come back to Jesus. It's time to come back to Jesus. It's time to answer an altar call. And it's not just believe that he exists. The demons believe that he exists. But to make him Lord of your life. I'm not talking about joining a church. Get, out, get, get all that stuff out of your mind. You do realize that one of the tactics of the enemy has been to so poison the relationship between a pastor and a church to make people not even respond to messages like this. The devil has worked overtime to put poison in our mind, to be so, uh, so standoffish of coming to an altar, so standoffish to saying yes to the preached word. But, well, what if the preacher's doing this in order to work my emotions? What if he's doing this just to try to get my money? What if he's doing this just to try to grow a church? What if, what if, what if, I, get all that out of your mind. I don't care if I never see you ever, ever, ever again. I just want to make sure I see you in heaven. If you think I have an alternative motive, then come to this altar, give your heart to the Lord, and then let somebody else be your preacher if you don't think I'm qualified to do it. I just want to make sure that everybody in this room has a chance to give their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I have often uh, thought about this right here. Now, we do have a speaker coming in October who had a vision of hell uh, for 23 minutes. 23 minutes in hell, he had a vision, he came back, he wrote a book. I'm not going to debate with you. You think it's real, not real, whatever. I've had him. I've listened to him. Behind the scenes, he's a very conservative guy. By the book, by the Bible, he doesn't say anything in his, in his uh, vision that goes against the Bible. It's just one man's account of, of going. But here's my point. I often think about what if, what if every preacher could spend about 30 minutes in hell or 23 minutes in hell or five minutes in hell? How would the sermons change? How would the sermon, what kind of passion, what kind of energy would that man preach whenever he spent some time in hell, which is the destination of anybody who does not have the Lord in their heart? I believe that all the personal egos would go out the door. I believe all the 
dumb competition would leave immediately. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I don't think it ought to take somebody to spend 23 minutes in hell to have conviction for the loss. No way. I believe it just ought to be your own conviction of what Jesus has done in your own heart for you to get up and declare the works of God. What if every deacon, what if every elder, what if every Sunday school teacher, every usher, every greeter, and every worker spent about 23 minutes, 30 minutes in hell? What would change with your vision? I bet you wouldn't greet the same way. Boy, you would love them in here. You would love them, love them, love them. And say you were at the right place at the right time. And I'm not even going to let you. I'm going to lock that door until you go to that altar. What if every worship pastor, what if every singer, what if every musician, what if every choir member spent some time in hell? How would that change your approach to your ministry? What if every church member spent about 23 minutes or 30 minutes in hell? How would it change your walk with God? How would it change your prayer life? How would it change your word life, your giving life, your worship life? I want us all to get a fresh vision this morning, not of hell, but get a fresh vision of Jesus Christ and heaven have a have a view of eternity as we walk this earth am I making sense to you this morning look at Isaiah 55 verse number six seek the Lord when are we to seek the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near why is that verse in the Bible? It's because whenever you close your eyes on this side of eternity and you open up on the other side of eternity, whatever decision you have made about the Lord Jesus Christ now in this life is going to have an effect, a ripple effect for all of eternity. And the time to seek the Lord is now. You have no guarantee beyond what you have right now. Now, am I making sense? They are praying in hell, but the truth is God is not listening to the prayers in hell. That's what makes this a, a paramount decision of what you do with this message. You can wad it up and throw it away and act like you have not heard this message today. Or you can do something about it. Because trust me, there will be a day that you pray. But there may be a day that he does not listen. Today you are to call out. This is the day the Lord has made to call out to him. Call out to God until your child comes home. Call out to God until there's, there, until there's a breakthrough in your own spirit. Call out to God until the windows of heaven come open over your family. There are things that you will not see happen until you begin to call out to the Lord. James chapter 5 verse number 16 talks about the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We need to start praying. We need to start calling out to God again. Somebody say amen right there. Let me keep going. Number 2, Luke 16 verse number 24. Notice what else Jesus saw down in the underbellies of the earth. He saw a desperate thirst. You got to see this. He said, dip your finger in water. Cool my tongue. Yes, that thirst is a real and natural thirst. There's no question about that. But that thirst transcends natural into spiritual. Because nobody goes to hell for being thirsty in the natural sense. Okay? Now, now, if you don't drink some water, then you, 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 know, you ain't going to stay on this earth very long, about three days. But my point is, is nobody goes to hell because of natural thirst. 
Okay, you follow me. Okay, now watch. So the spiritual thirst, I believe, is what the deeper craving is. Notice this verse right here in verse 24 in conjunction of John 14, verse number 14, where it talks about whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. Are you seeing that this morning? There is something down in the pits of hell that desires thirst. I am not satisfied. I am thirsty. There is a thirst in hell for the anointing. There's a thirst in hell for the word of God, for worship and for praise. Especially if you sat on a pew for any length of your time and you never gave your heart to the Lord. That stuff is playing around in your mind for all of eternity. What would would people give right now? in hell for just a moment to sit in this service. What would they give to sit in one more worship service of the Lord? Oh, I need the Holy Spirit right now to keep me straight right here because I want to chase so many rabbits, y'all. While they were on this earth, they were too inconvenienced to come to a service like this. While they were on this earth, there was two other many things going on for me to pray or to read my word. Matthew 5, verse 6 tells me, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Church, you have to develop your own level of hunger. You have to develop your own level of thirst. In other words, there's something inside of you that says there's got to be more. There's got to be more to my walk with God. You see, it's not my responsibility to pacify you until the next Sunday. Can you handle this word? Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. It's my job to challenge you with this word, to grow you. Now watch. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, there's going to be a time, and that time is already here, that I'm going to come out here and preach a doctrine, a word to you. Let's say what I'm preaching right now. I'm preaching the doctrine of hell to you right now. And watch, come out here and preach this message. The Bible says there's going to be a time that people will not put up with that kind of teaching. They will say, no preacher, uh uh-uh. Don't you preach that to me. Who do you think you are talking to me like that? I don't care if it's in the Bible or not. I'm going to go and find another church. What what kind of church? A church according to their own desires. I'm going to go find me a preacher who preaches the kind of message that is acceptable to me. Not what's in the Bible, but what's acceptable to me. And if it doesn't meet my own standards, then I'm going to find another preacher. You can find as many preachers as you want on YouTube and Facebook. Come on, talk to me in here. Have a church. They just on there preaching. It's just YouTube church. I don't know what it is, but watch. They heap up for themselves teachers. Is the church supposed to scratch your ears with pre-approved sermons that are politically correct according to your version of your worldview? Or is the preacher supposed to get along with God, get this book right here, pour through the scriptures, and find a message that God puts in their heart and then comes out here and delivers it? Even if it cost him his job. Even if they call a meeting after the service and say, we got to do something about this man, it's time to call a vote. That's the point of where we are. We need some men of God who do not care about titles, positions, 
401k or a paycheck. We need some folks who have bought in to what they're preaching. You see, babies love pacifiers. You know why? Because it pacifies them. But there's no nutrients in those pacifiers. They're not get, you're just satisfying them so they don't cry too loud. Just get through the moment. Just get through the moment without actually affecting them. And at some point, a preacher has to take the pacifier out of my mouth and put something inside of me that's going to give me the power to march into the enemy's camp and take back what the enemy has stolen from me. And that's the word of God. John 7 verse 37. All who are thirsty, let them come unto me. Let them come unto me. Relationships is not going to satisfy you. You can make all the money in the world. It's not going to satisfy you. You can have all the power, all the control, and make all the decisions. It's not going to satisfy you. The only thing is Jesus Christ. And I want to pastor a thirsty church. I want to pastor some people who don't care about all this other nonsense going on around us. Who just wants to get in here, clap their hands, raise their hands, worship the Lord. Get in this word right here. Go deep into the things of God and see how many people you and I can take to heaven with us as long as we have breath in our lungs oh Jesus help us this morning let me keep going here number three what did Jesus see whenever he went to hell in Luke 16 verse 27 he saw this right here this man this rich man Lazarus uh, excuse me the rich man said hey I got some folks in my father's house who are not saved next verse 28 won't somebody from the dead be raised up, go to my family and testify to them that they do not want to come to this place that I'm at. So here we go. He had five brothers. Right now in hell, Jesus saw a burden for the lost people. There are people in hell right now who all of a sudden has a burden for lost people in their own family. In hell right now, there are moms and dads who have a burden for their lost children who they did not have while they were breathing air on this earth. There are presidents, chancellors, kings, and prime ministers, leaders of countries who wish to God they would have led their country toward the cross instead of their own power. In hell right now, there are backslidden pastors who wish that they would have lived the sermon that they had preached. Are you hearing me? 1 John 2, 19. They went out from among us, but they were not of us. They were not living the message that they were preaching. Yes, they were wolves in sheep's clothing. Yes, they were backslidden. Yes, they were crooked. And they were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. Let us get a burden for the lost while we're still here in John chapter 9 verse 4. We have to work while it is day uh, because night is coming when no man can work. I, listen, from the beginning of my ministry, I'm talking about when God called me to ministry when I was 19, 20 years old. Some people think I'm, I am the way I am just now. No, I've always been this way. How? Okay, just, okay. I've always been like that. Okay, just how God made me. But watch, well, even when I was a youth pastor, I would always be challenging the status quo. Always. This is what folks, they, they don't understand about me, man. They don't understand this. And I'm trying to, trying to explain myself to you. I've always been like, listen, we got to work while it's day. We got to work. There's a lot of lost people out there, and we got to do our job to make sure that we 
you know, present the gospel to as many people as we can. So I go to Troy, and I'm talking to the deacons, and I'm telling deacons, man, this church, there's like 50 people here. you got six students in the youth ministry, and I look around Troy, and there's, a, there's like, this is a 5A high school. You have Troy University here. Why does, why does this church only have 50 people in it, and why do we only have six students in the youth ministry? You'd be shocked of how that makes people feel very uncomfortable whenever I talk like that. Make y'all uncomfortable right now. Why? I, I don't know. But here's the thing. There's some work to be done. There's work to be done. Are you kidding me? I'm not satisfied. And we got six kids in our student youth ministry. Whenever I know they're out there drugging and alcohol and going to hell, I'm about to go preach to them. I'm about to go invite them to church. And when we do, this little fellowship hall ain't going to be big enough. Y'all can't handle this, can you? You can't handle it. I, I just need to get back to my notes over here because I, the, the criticism that comes my way is this right here. Preacher, you're doing too much. Preacher, you're working over here. You're making me tired just looking at it. Here's my point. Here's my point. Listen, I'm going to give the best of my years to the kingdom right here at this church. You follow? You got you to connect with me right here, John 9, 4. There's going to be a day. No, yeah, there's going to be a day. That I am not able to do what I do right now. All of us. We're all. And so right now, my heart, physically, my heart is strong. My vocal cords work. My, I got energy. I'll run the 5K. Come on, somebody. Don't talk. Don't mess with me now. All right. But my point is this right here. I am willing to run my race for Jesus right now. You hear me? You got to see this. Because I know there's a day that we, as a collective group, me, as an individual, will not be able to do some of the things that I'm doing right now. And I'm okay with that. I'm going to pass the mic to the next generation. I'm going to say, tag, you're it. I'm going to pray, support, give, and help you move it to the next level. But there is coming a time that there, from a spiritual standpoint, if you close your eyes on this side of eternity and you open them on that side of eternity without Jesus Christ living in your heart, it's too late. It's too late. The ship has sailed, friend. The altar call is given and you missed it. And that's the reason we must understand that our job as believers, as Christians, man, not as a preacher, but as Christians, is to make sure that we let our light shine. That we give people the opportunity to give their heart to the Lord right now. I just went all over the place. right? They don't even know where I'm at. Let me just get to my fourth point and close this thing out. Luke chapter 16, verse 23. Jesus saw that the people in hell have a vision for heaven. And this is where I'm going to close it out. Now, from a theological standpoint, uh, 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 from a theological background, Abraham's bosom was prior to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross, okay? So before Jesus, there was that place called paradise, Abraham's bosom, where the righteous Old Testament saints that died went after death. So that's the reason the Bible says that Jesus led the captive free, brought them out of paradise, and brought them into the throne room of God again, looking at Acts 7 when Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Paradise, Abraham's bosom, was the heaven of that day. And the man, the rich man, sees Lazarus, sees heaven across the, the chasm there, but it is a place that he cannot go. Okay, here we go now. In hell right now, there is a vision 
for heaven a desire to get out of hell and to go to heaven. But heaven is a place that they will never, ever get to visit. And that's the reality of this message. Now, I don't know about you, but I have already made up my mind that I have already punched my ticket for heaven. I am going to heaven, not because I'm a preacher, but because Jesus saved me. I invited him into my heart, and he became the Lord of my life. Are you hearing me as the praise team comes? And I'll say this, and I've said it privately, and I'll say it publicly as well, that I don't plan on going to hell for nobody. You say, you say, I don't know about that. That's kind of, nope, nope. I, I don't care if they have my last name. I don't care if people in the church. I, Jason Allen serves Jesus Christ, period, period. And I am not going to forfeit my right to go to heaven based upon what Jesus Christ has done in my life for nobody, for no money, for no, no pride, no, nothing. I am going to heaven. That's the kind of assurance that you need in this room this morning. That it is an individual choice whether people support you or don't support you. Whether they clap for you or don't clap for you. You have to say in your heart that I plan on spending in an eternity with Jesus Christ up in heaven. I have a vision for heaven. I have an investment in heaven. Not only do I have an investment in heaven in terms of my Lord and Savior, I can't wait to see Jesus. I like seeing you on Sundays and Wednesdays. I really do. But I can't wait to see Jesus in heaven. I have a vision for it, y'all. And not only a vision, but investment. I have some loved ones waiting on me up in heaven. I have some folks that was in my family that I know for a fact, personally know for a fact, that they are in heaven. There are some that I don't know for a fact if they are or not, just to be truthfully honest with you. But I do know there are some of my family members who are in heaven right now. I also know for a fact that there are some former members of this church who's in heaven right now. Some of my friends, some that I prayed the sinner's prayer with them. I said I grabbed their hands and saw the tears in their eyes and I would testify to the fact that their heart was changed for God and they are in heaven right now as well. And so there is an investment in heaven and there are times, y'all, if I'm just completely honest with you, whenever you, you get so, you know, stuff just starts piling up on you in life and everything, I sometimes get in my prayer closet, I'm probably sharing way too much right now and making everybody uncomfortable, but but I sometimes get in my prayer closet and I say, Lord, if you want to take me to heaven right now, I'm ready. Don't look at me like that. If you want my old heart to stop beating right now and send me on to heaven, I'm ready. Because I have a vision for heaven, y'all. Oh, I'm ready. I am ready. I have a vision for it. You got to hear me by the Holy Spirit this morning. Don't get too attached to this world. Don't get too attached to the things of this world. Oh, let nothing hold you back from heaven. Not a man. Don't let no man hold you back from heaven. Hmm? Don't let a woman hold you back from heaven. Don't let a job hold you back. Don't let money. Don't let pleasure. Don't let addictions. You have to say in your mind. I'm going to give my heart to the Lord. I'm going to have a vision for heaven. 
And I will not let anything on this world hold me back. Because the truth of the matter is, I believe sometimes we care more about the things of this world than we do things about what is coming. And we put, put way too much emphasis on things that don't really matter. Do you understand? Nothing on this earth is going to get you over there except Jesus Christ. Get a vision for heaven. I'm done right here. I'm reading these verses. In my Father's house there are many mansions. Look at Revelation 7 verse 15. And I'm going to be done. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Verse 16. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. Do you see the difference? The rich man, thirsty. Constant need, not satisfied. In heaven, satisfied. Heaven, you're good. You ain't hungry, you ain't thirsty. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. Verse 17. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. And lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a vision for that place right there. I want to be there more than I want to be anywhere else. To be with the Lamb who's in my midst, who is my shepherd. No more curse, no more sickness, no more struggles. You will see the face of Jesus who sits on the throne, Revelations 21, 4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes this vision a reality. If Jesus is your Savior, you will walk on the streets of gold. If Jesus is your Savior, you will see the crystal sea. If Jesus is your Savior, you will see your loved ones once again. If Jesus is your Savior, you will be in heaven for all and all and all of eternity. Somebody say amen right there. Stand all across this room. For more information about the Revival Center, visit us on the web at revivalcenterag.com.